Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Revenge, the next person to cut me off in traffic is going to get a hot slice of foot-in-the-ass pizza. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Cerithium Oil, delivering fossil fuels to your front door, whether you ordered it or not. Dive into Cerithium Oil. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a show where we like to discuss films. And so we like to break it apart, look at it from all avenues, from acting to directing to writing, editing, every side of it. I really let this intro roll quite a long time on this one. Yeah, you did. I noticed. It's fine. It's good. Yeah. Um, we can dive right yeah. in. We have a we have a long day ahead. So, what are we going to cover today, man? Yeah, today uh, we're covering No Time to Die, the new Bond film. So, if you haven't seen it, pause this episode, go watch it. It's in theaters now. Yeah, we'll touch on a few things. We'll discuss the resourcefulness of Bond. Um, we'll also talk about summoning characters and red herrings, uh, as well as we'll 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 chew on the future of the James Bond series and other such stuff and things and stuff. And I'm gonna. Botch all these names, but here, here we go. Uh, so synopsis of the film. James Bond has left active service. His piece is short-lived when Felix Leiter and ol- an old friend from the CIA turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Screenplay by Neil Purvis and R- Robert Wade and Kerry Joji Fukunaga and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Cinematography by Linus Sandgren, uh, starring Daniel Craig as James Bond, Leah Seydoux as Madeline, sure, why not, Jeffrey Wright as Felix, Anna de Armas as Paloma, Lashana Lynch as 007 Nomi, uh, Lisa Dora Sonne as Matilde, Rami Malek as Lucifer Safin, sure, uh <laughs> Christoph Waltz as Blofeld and Ralph Phineas as M. Uh Rafe Fines. Yeah. Rafe Fi- what what? Rafe Fines. Rafe. Yep. That's how you spell that? Yep. <laughs> and Rafe Fines as M. Why not? Just making the shit up now. <laughs> People just making up. How do you spell? Green W nine. <laughs> we used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. And now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, there'll be the death of you. Oh my God! Target enough people. And with people become the weapon. James, you don't know what this is. James Bond. Licensed to kill. In love with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind. Isn't it? Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? Ah! 
Ogie. So yeah, I have a litany of questions that I will pepper you with throughout the show. Yay or nay, man. This is the last Daniel Craig. Are you glad to see him go? Was this the way to, for him to, to go out? Uh, <laughs> how'd you feel? Yay. <laughs> Big yay for me. I don't even care what anybody thinks. This is my favorite Bond film. I loved, I loved Whoa. it. I loved every bit of it. Every, every, dis- okay. Let me just say there are a couple of things that you have to dismiss because it's Bond. Let's just, mm. let's just put it out there. Right. So Bond, there's going to be a million shots fired. Not a one is going to hit him. <laughs> right. You just have to understand that that's going to happen. You have to go in there knowing that's going to happen. It's, it's happened since the, the seventies, whenever it is first sixties. And it's just always going to be that way. Hmm. Right. So if you have that understanding, well, you, you can get away with a lot, but there, there are so many costs that he pays like uh, through, I, I think Daniel Craig, I don't even, I, like I said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I think Daniel Craig is the best Bond ever. There is no one that can touch him. Everyone else has been a version of this guy. But this guy, the Bond he plays from the very beginning has been the impetus of what I th- feel like this character is supposed to be. He's strong when he needs to be. He's delicate when he needs to be. He's funny when he needs to be. He's brutal when he needs to be. Um, like all the right moments, like this character has been written for for Daniel Craig in, in just a perfect way. And he's played it in a perfect way. But the stakes and, and you know, how do you make the stakes higher? He's always trying, has to save the world yeah. always. Right. Yeah. But in this case, it's so awesome because he has to save the world basically from itself in a way. And the sacrifices that have to be made along the way are fantastic. The things that we know as viewers that 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 he doesn't know are really cool and frustrating at times, but understandable still. And then, and you know, the additions, right? Like his daughter, you know, is just a little wrinkle and we're told, no, that's not your daughter, you know? And we're thinking, we're thinking, wait, but she has blue eyes like him. And like, is it Rami Malek's character's daughter? Is it, you know, like whatever Safin's daughter, but then we learn that it is. And it just, it's, it's so good. Felix dies. Like it is it to pay the price, right? Of, of he pays the price of bringing that, the, um, what's his name? The, the, the bad guy. Uh, Oh, Blofeld. Blofeld. Thank you. He pays the price of bringing Blofeld in Mm. right by with his life. Like there are prices that have to be paid and, and then basically handing the baton over to the new double O you know, because they don't like each other at first. And then he, he gives it, he just hands it over to her. Right. He dies at the end. Fucking yes. You, like there's a massive cost. Finally, we have a moment where, where the cost to saving the world is mm. your life for this guy who you cannot kill. And yet, you know, and, and who kills him? M. Interesting M point. Yeah. I didn't even him. think about that. I mean, he kills himself, right? He right, tells right. him to launch. It's a sacrifice, but, but he right, pushes but, the button. But M has dead, and he says it in the movie, I've dedicated my life to the protection of this country. And this, the whole thing is his fault. All of this is, is M's fault. You know, like the, the, the I mean, the virus at the beginning. Uh, the, the, for the, Heracles. For the, the yeah. Whole, yeah, Heracles itself was his own creation. So... For him to be the one to end it all was just a, I just love it. I thought it was brilliant. 
I thought I I totally bought their love. I mm. I thought that it was it was really well acted. And how do you say her name? Leah's say yeah. say do. Uh, is I mean yeah, it's just fantastic. And then having having Ana de Armas in it just for a little bit was really really great. And at first I thought. I thought, man, I would really like her to come back at some point or like to to have a little bit more of her. I mean, one, you know, she's beautiful, but she's also really awesome at action stuff. I totally bought that. But really, I thought it was perfect because it all it does is open the world of, of you know, the double O's mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit bigger. It just makes it a little bit bigger. Like there are more out there that you don't see. Here's one. That you're going to get 10 minutes of and then no more. That's it. And there's more, you know? So it just opens it up just a little bit. I thought that they did a really great job of bringing characters when they needed to and not when they didn't. I mean, we have Rami Malek as the main bad guy, but we don't have him in the movie very much. He's really, he is the focal point, but not, we don't see too much of him. We see him a little bit at the beginning, a little bit in the middle, and a little bit at the end. It's more about developing his relationship and his love with Madeline and his missing of Madeline and his longing for not have for, or like his regret for putting her on the train. We're like with these characters and their relationship so much more than, than it is about the, how bad the bad guy is. You know, we get a little bit of exposition when he's holding the, the little girl and Daniel Craig is on his knees in front of him. A little bit of that, but and in, in you know a few other points too, like when he's in the the safe room with Madeline earlier, and he's finding out a bunch of stuff. But uh, for the most part, it's just it's it's it develops their relationship really well. So the whole thing. were were you able to pretty? Did you have any problems with Safin? I guess like for me, I struggled quite a bit with his motivation. Like he has this uh, monologue about people in oblivion and. And so the world needs to evolve, right? And therefore he needs to kill large swaths of people to, to make the world better. I don't know. It He felt almost like an aside. Like he was just a very, to me, thinly built villain mm-hmm. with strong visual characteristics um, and interesting like things about him. But in terms of his motivation and what he was trying to accomplish, that felt very afterthought to me and i just didn't follow it i saw this twice um and i struggled to really understand what what the the deal with him was really about and i don't know if you had a bigger better read on that or if you were just like that's eh, fine he's just a bad guy and he's a means to an end a little bit of both mm-hmm. a little bit of both i totally agree with you i uh, so in when he's giving his exposition for his purpose right holding the little girl that's i think when you you know the part that you're having the issue with right where he says something the first thing he says i identify with but then when he talks about people want oblivion i didn't really get that mm. but the part before that i got where that basically people want to be told how to live their lives and i think a lot a lot of people are like that right like you know they just we wake up we take our kids to school we go to work we pick them up we make them dinner, we go to bed, we do the whole thing again the next day. And that is what society tells us to do. So that's what we do, right? And we just, and there is some comfort in the, in the structure of Mm -hmm. that, whatever that structure is told by society, it should be, there's comfort in knowing I'm doing the right thing. 
by doing this thing that society is saying that I'm, I should do. And so I, I, I totally agree with that. You know, does that mean he needs to destroy all of society? Not necessarily, you know, but it is, it is a semi true statement. I feel like there, there's, there's some truth behind that. I would have bought it more had, had it been just revenge on it's revenge at a grand scale when it didn't need to be, you Mm -hmm. know? So yeah, I, I totally get that. But I, at, on the opposite side of that, I don't really even care. Yeah. It doesn't matter because the point is, is that there, and we've seen it in look at characters like Joker, where you just want to see the world burn. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys just want to see the world burn. And I don't need a full, it's a Bond movie. So I don't need a full explanation of, and, and, you know, of why you want to see the world burn necessarily. I just know that you do. And we can't let that happen. Hmm. It doesn't even matter. Like you could just never tell me why. You know, and maybe it would have been better if they had not even said why. He's just like, I just don't even care. You know, uh, it. So I guess my point is, is that like, you know, maybe, maybe there have been other villains in other bonds that have had better motivation, but I feel like the character development and the and the story and the visuals and my journey through this film were more complete than any other bond that I had seen. Hmm. So I guess that's why I'm letting that go a little bit. Because I've already had really developed bad guys in other Bond films. Um, I mean, the last couple. But, you know, but I haven't had the journey that I feel like I had, you know, the emotional journey in this film. Mm. And I'm really curious at what you think now. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I think I, it's always nice to understand why we're fighting. And I think ironically that's one of the 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 gifts and curses of this film is we should be examining why we do things right like m created a weapon that is now being used against them and that's that's such a government thing to do (laughs) like yeah you know we're gonna we're gonna be architects of our own destruction um that's that's so perfectly like encapsulates uh our attitudes towards warfare you know we're gonna go punch this guy so that he doesn't punch us which of course just begets more punching like uh violence rarely you know stops with that and so now you have a government who's creating uh this nanobot technology that spreads and infects everyone and touches in order to target one very specific person but now it's being manipulated it got into the wrong hands as most things usually do in life and it's going to be used against us. And I could never forget predicted this. Like everyone was so trustworthy a minute ago. <laughs> like what happened? Like, yeah. And so I, I find it just, there, there's a certain amount of, I don't know, irony in, in constructing uh, such a clear eyed problem and then kind of fumbling on the motivations of using that and perverting that, that very clear eyed problem to your advantage by the villain. And so I, that's just, I don't know, kind of humorous to me uh, that they could so strongly construct the issue without like landing that plane. And so, yeah, I don't know that it, it bothered me a little bit, but I think largely because of how much they are building this around the emotional journey of James Bond it didn't ultimately ruin the movie for me. 
Um, it made me scratch my head a little bit here and there, but because I was still so emotionally invested in his journey, I definitely went with it. Like it, it didn't pull me out altogether, but whenever you kind of look at this from the 50 foot view, you're just like, why are we running around? Like we're, we're doing a lot of busy work without, I don't know, the, the clearest of, of understanding of what's underpinning it all. Like I understand what ultimately sets this journey off, right? It's getting this Russian scientist um, and then he escapes and that, you know, begets a whole chain of events um, that culminates with Bond dying. Um, cool. I get that. But I mean, that aside, it's still really good. And it largely comes right back down to what set this whole thing into motion in the first place with, with uh, James Bond, this version of James Bond in Casino Royale. And so I think Part of my issue, too, is it was hard to follow some of the other aspects of the story. I didn't really understand Madeline or Madeline. Um, I, under, I I know who she is in relation to Bond, but I couldn't remember who she is in relation to Spectre um, and all of that. And so I think I suspect this is an excellent series if you were to watch it over the course of like one or two weeks. Right. And you're coming fresh off of. Skyfall and Spectre and especially the first one and I bet you could even watch Casino Royale Spectre and this one and have a very complete idea of this story but I just didn't have time I watched we we covered Casino Royale not too uh, distantly and then I managed to watch Quantum of Solace but I didn't have time to watch Skyfall or Spectre and so I was just like uh, I know this stuff is has answer is already out there and um i bet i'd be rewarded for all that uh and so that makes it a little bit more fuzzy whenever people are throwing names around luckily because we did cover casino royale like i knew who vesper was and so when they're talking about vesper i'm like oh yeah yeah. if i hadn't watched Mm -hmm. that recently i don't know that i would remember vesper was uh you know the love interest in the first one because vesper is such a cool name it sounds like a code name for a bad guy yeah um yeah well, true. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but I'd imagine like a dude with a scar on his face. Um, yes, yeah, so I get it. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I would have been lost. Whereas thankfully I, I knew, you know, that's Eva Green's character and I understood what that meant to him. And so I personally, I loved that Vesper still loomed really large over the story and him specifically. Um, and so did that add an extra layer to you or were you kind of indifferent to Vesper still being a character five on the fifth film, like so many episodes later? It a hundred percent did. I, I loved it. And that's another reason why I love this film is because I feel Mm -hmm. like they closed a bunch of loops. They closed some loops that needed to be closed and they, they, um, allowed some to open Mm -hmm. at Vesper, Okay, I, you know, I don't want to give away the other, oh, other films, sure. yeah. you know, but like when, when that happened, whatever happened to Vesper, it was a massive thing for me as a viewer. I felt broken when yeah. that happened for him. That mm-hmm. was probably one of the most uh, visceral scenes in any Bond film that I've seen, to yeah. be honest. And so it wasn't just closure for Bond. It was closure for me as a, as a, as a lover of this James Bond, right. As a, as a, someone who wants peace for this man, you know, I want, I want this guy to be able to, to either let her go or to, to slow down and stop and live his life, which is what he wants. And, and to open it up 
with the idea that he is going to um, let her go and that his new love understands that that needs to happen was just very beautiful. And it really made me, it made me love Madeline for being so understanding and, and so patient with him. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you can tell that she cares for him. Yeah. You know, so when we think that she is double crossing him, we're like, shit again, really? You know how to pick them, James, you know? (laughs) Um, and so, yes, I absolutely loved it. Totally didn't expect explosion at all. I was waiting for something to happen, you know? And then the credits after, you know, oh, after that whole right. scene. Yeah. I was like, whoa, this is this is cool. Okay, this is setting the stage for what we should expect moving forward. Um, and there was just enough of that. You know, I don't... Yes, I loved it, to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like... That was the one thing I really loved about this was I feel like, and I haven't seen every James Bond film. Like I, I started watching them with Pierce Brosnan, but from what I understand, all the bonds are largely kind of campy, right? They're just uh, kind of silly, fun. Like he's debonair. Uh, he's the womanizer and you know, he, he makes silly remarks as he kills bad guys and he never breaks a sweat all that kind of stuff which is fine like but it never caught me like i've never seen any other bond i never saw connery i never saw uh, roger moore and whatever other bonds there are and pierce Brosnan was fine i mean he looked good in a tuxedo tuxedo i guess but just didn't really appeal to me i kind of like gritty stuff um and so when daniel craig person on the scene it's really cool but from what i understand this is the first time we've seen the beginning and end of a bond definitely no bonds have died before but if you come into this knowing that you know what this is going to be the last one of daniel craig we got to see bond become a 007 a 00 agent like why not give him an arc and why not kill off some characters uh right let's kill off felix why not um it's great emotional ammo to fuel bond um it creates some some nice loops uh that we can begin closing uh because felix was introduced through casino royale and now he can be here at the end um and they have this little great exchange right uh felix says to him as he's dying right it's a good life isn't it and bond replies the best you know and then he's gone and then we also have this nice little loop with vesper who it's such a cool idea. Um, and I didn't think they were going to do this, you know, before watching this movie, but Vesper took his legacy in a sense, right? She left him destroyed emotionally and physically. He was unable to reproduce. Like he, he got his manhood destroyed, um, and literal and symbolic ways. Right. And because yeah, okay. He probably can't have kids ever again is what the doctors, you know, tell him, but after that, he's also unable to love or trust again. It's all symbolically tied into, you know, his ability to reproduce. And so we introduce Madeline and she returns all that. And I love your point. Her love acknowledged Vesper's place in Bond's life without jealousy or resentment. That's really cool. What a Sorry. good, complete, wholesome love. Like, heck yeah. And so from that aspect, I definitely loved it. I loved... uh you know, the, the emotional journey, I guess that we got to send him through. I just wish I had had time to go and rewatch the entire series to really appreciate what they built because without that there's names thrown around and things hinted at and implied that I'm just like, I, 
I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds important. Um, and so I, that's, I guess that's my only reservation is, uh, they did too good of a job. Like this plays much better episodically like a TV show in the sense that you kind of need a recap, um, to, yeah. to really understand what the episode contains, um, and what they're addressing. But Madeline as a character is, I think really good. I love, love that, uh, she's not a damsel, right? Mm-hmm. Even in the beginning, she took care of her mom and, you know, you can see her cleaning up after feeding her and her mom just struggled with, you know, what was it alcohol that she was uh, taking or, yeah. or maybe drugs? I can't remember, but, but you can sense as an afterthought, the way they just, they don't directly spell it out, which is again, things that we love. Uh, but she becomes a psychotherapist, right? We, when we meet her later in. She's a psychotherapist. And so she's not a victim. She took control of her life and used her own issues in order to help others. That's very cool. What a great, well-constructed, uh, thoughtful character to, to create. And even in that opening scene, just to go back to she's not a damsel, whenever it comes time for her to defend herself, she does not hesitate. Man, She blazes yes. uh, Safin down in that opening scene. She is a complete badass. And then even when she just gets dropped into the, the the water, there's this great underwater stunt. I don't know how they do that. Like, is I really don't know how they shot that sequence because you have a little girl sitting under the ice, and I don't know if that's like we're gonna shoot this uh, under in a pool and match it with visual effects, or if they really found a badass uh, little girl who could do this kind of stunt, or maybe they had a stunt double and they CGI'd her face onto it. I have zero idea how they accomplished it, but to me, to my eye, it looked practical. Yes, it did. And so I am, I'm just in awe. Uh, but of course, in order to make sure we understand who she is, they do this great match cut of her coming up from that shot into fast forward, you know, the present day and they match cut to, uh, Madeline, the, as an adult, Leah to do tying that character together perfectly. So you understand that's her. That's what she's been yeah. through in her past. Um, simple. It's always the simple little things that, you know, tell the, tell the easiest story for the viewer to understand. And then later and in just the, so, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and then later in the forest, like she's mowing dudes down, protecting her and her daughter. <laughs> like, oh, I crap. love it. No hesitation, like nailing them one bullet per man, please. <laughs> like, Pretty much. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that you have to dismiss in a bond film. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier. You're going to have a hundred guys shooting at you. All of them will miss. Maybe one will graze you, but then you'll shoot once and you'll kill them. Yeah. You know, I and think it, you kind of, kind of want that. You, you know, do. it's okay. Yeah. I, I'm all right with that. I'm, yeah. I know what I'm getting going yes. into that. Yes. Just to, just to clarify for a second, when I said earlier about Felix dying for bringing this guy in, I meant Logan Ash. I meant the, oh, the, yeah. the, 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 the mole essentially. Gotcha. That's the reason he had to die. He brought Logan in. Logan was the mole. Yeah. So he had to be, he had to, he had to die for, for that. There was a cost for that. So yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. As far as uh, Bond women as well, um, you mentioned Anna de Armas uh, playing Paloma, the Cuban secret agent. God, she's good, man. And what I really loved about her, all the all the women in here are not just carbon copies of each other. They're all their own person, um, which is not always accomplished in, in action films, let alone in, in a lot of movies in the past in general. And Paloma stands on her own as well. 
because she's the most 007 in this entire film. Uh, more than Bond, Great. I think she's more 007 because Bond himself does not flirt. He's kind of out of the game. Like he's not interested in love, romance. Um, so he doesn't really even brush it. And if you're going to flirt with someone, it's hard to get much better than Ana de Armas. Like, uh, you know, she's just a smoke show. Um, and there's an opportunity for it. Like bond is changing. Right. And she's watching him undressed and he gets uncomfortable and he's like, uh, she's like, Oh yeah, sorry. She turns around. And so he can change into, you know, his tux. He tells her to turn around. Yeah. Is that what it is? He does. Do you mind spinning please? Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's perfect. Um, because, He's being very unbond, but in, in some senses, uh, but she's very bond like. She's a badass, right? She's flirty, she's charming, she's brash, she handles her liquor, right? She knocks down a, a martini in one go. <laughs> and then she's also incredibly skilled at what she does. Uh, she sees opportunities, right? Uh, there's that moment when she sees the guy trying to escape and she's like, oh, he's on the scaffolding. Whoop this car has got to go and like she wrecks the car. There's that scene in the, in the club where it almost is a spitting image of the first James Bond casino row where he scrambles for a gun and like pops off three bullets and takes out three guys, um, you know, from, from his back on the floor. And she does nearly the exact same thing. Like she spins yeah. around and just grabs a gun and in a flourish pop, pop, pop. Like it's a great action sequence. And so, Paloma is hardcore and the Armas absolutely owned it. And she has this kind of innocent naivete to her that you think is she really up to the task? And it's, she's just, she's downplaying how good she is all and the that's time. The other, that's the other thing that I loved about this film. I feel like there's just enough. And in a lot of these bond films, there's just enough like comedic relief yeah. to like, humanize these these people i mean she's just she's like yeah i've had three weeks of training <laughs> and he looks at her like three weeks i'm a fast learner something yeah. like that you know the there's a few of those throughout you know or like bond addressing m it's definitely the desk Ooh, you know yeah or it's definitely not the desk or whatever it yeah. is the desk is the same size yeah you know things like that are just like they bring down the stress a little bit so that when the stress goes back up it feels that much bigger it's like just so it's so great. And casting Ana de Armas in that role to be this, you know, like, like innocent feeling person, but then just badass. It's just, is really, really awesome. And I, I loved LaShonda Lynch as the, as the, was it Naomi? Naomi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I loved her. I thought I totally bought it and I thought that she, they, it was great casting. Mm-hmm. Um, I love not only that it was a woman, but an African-American woman. Like, why not? Yeah. You know, like, let's let's make it let's let's branch out. It's always been these white males playing this 007 role. Yeah. Let's go complete other direction. And it completely work. I mean, she she owned it. And I loved the moment where she said that she's going she's going with him at the end. And he with Bond and Bond said, thank you, 007. It was just yeah it was such a wonderful moment you know and then at the end when towards the end when they get in the boat and she says i got them you know just to give him the little sense of they're going to be okay it's just so wonderful and she just owned those lines they're small lines but they're so important like they they're literally handing off this entire world 
to a new character. So if you if you botch a single word, yeah, you know, then it it just falls flat. She owned it totally. And this is a funny uh, like I think you'll you'll find this humorous, but uh, I don't think she's African American because she's British. Oh, yeah? So I, I think she's just black. <laughs> like oh, got it. No, yeah, I, you know, I, how would I know? No, yeah. I just think that's hilarious that you know in America that's you know the the PC way to to the discuss race. Oh right, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, over there because she's literally not. You're American. right. You're totally yeah. right. You're totally right. But it's synonymous in, in in our minds, and that's the way we anyway. I just think that's hilarious. Um, Why would we think any other yeah, any other way? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm small white male. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'll blast through a few notes here and then I have some more questions uh, yeah. for Le Todd. But I like story and writing wise, uh, story and writing wise, the resourcefulness of Bond. Every every one of these films is plays on this and uh, here is no different um, because you want to make Bond more than a button pusher with gadgets, right? He has all the cool toys from Q and rarely does he use them the way they're intended. Usually the fun is seeing the genius way that he perverts the technology to his own ends. But even beyond the technology, you don't want him just a button pusher. Like you need to make him strong. But most importantly, you want to make him smarter than his opponent. And it always comes down to action films like this work best when you have smart villains and smarter heroes. I think I think that's ultimately what makes a, a film like this very satisfying because there's only so far you can make something go when it's just strength versus strength like who can lift a bigger rock is rarely going to be interesting but who can think of a better way to use the rock uh is going to be very satisfying to a viewer because now you're trying to outsmart the viewer as much as you're trying to paint a picture of how smart the hero is you want to set the viewer up for one thing and deliver something else. And it's that contrast, that contradiction uh, that makes something very satisfying for the uh, roller coaster ride, I think. And the way they do it in this film, here's a couple of ways, uh, but Bond uses his surroundings very well. And on the bridge at the beginning, after the, uh, he visits Vesper's grave, you know, uh, the explosion, and he's running, trying to, to dodge the, the motorcyclist and then there's a car that meets him on the bridge and he's about to get flattened right he ducks behind like a rock on the bridge that's built into the bridge and the car of course is unable to to move the rock uh, the boulder and it i don't know if it flips or if it just uh, uh keeps going or whatever but it's that quick acknowledge like because we see him caught dead flat-footed and he's like is he gonna jump over the bridge again uh no oh smart like he understands physics right and so simple little thing like that and then in the forest later on i love that he uses that crash jeep's uh, towing cable to create like a trip line to for the motorcyclist right he laps it around a tree and sets off his gun or whatever calls for it and it's just baiting the motorcyclist to, you know, basically kill himself on, on this tripwire. Uh, and then similar, just a moment later, he uses a fallen tree to wreck Ash's Jeep, which ultimately uh, gets Ash killed. And that's just a little fun, satisfying. You could see these things within the scene and maybe piece together what he's doing as he's doing it. Uh, smart. I just, I like little, little touches, little flourishes. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes Bond Bond is that, he sees the things are in his surroundings that we, you know, in hindsight saw, yeah, but didn't in the moment, and which makes us feel like, man, 
man, I wonder if I could have done that or, mm-hmm. or, okay, the next time I'm in a scenario where I'm being chased by guys with, with machine guns on motorcycles. Yeah. I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, just see your surroundings different because they're, they're not inhuman things. Mm-hmm. They're very human things that you can notice if you have the training or you pay attention more or you, you know, whatever, very spy-like things, yeah. you know? Yeah. I love that. Good point. Let's talk about summoning characters and red herrings. So whenever I say summoning a character, it's not just, hey, can Charlie get in here? And, you know, he walks into the room. I'm I'm speaking more whenever I think of the thing I'm about, I'm trying to describe, um, I think of it like a spell. Like in one scene, you're talking about, you know, there's only one person that's right for this job. Cut to Billy steps out of a car, you know. And so in that way, you're creating an incantation that's summoning uh, someone onto the screen by just invoking them. You're asking a question or you're making an implication and then you cut to the answer to that question. And I think of it like, Oh, they're, they're building this thing up. Here we go. We're about to introduce a new character. Um, And so, yeah, summoning a character is the way I, I kind of phrase that in my head. I don't know if there's an actual good screenwriting term for that. There probably is. And I'm just a doofus, but I think mine's fun. <laughs> so, I like it. Um, and so it, we, we see that happen uh, early in the film whenever M, I think, is talking to Bond. Uh, and he's like, I, you need to get in to see Blofeld. Uh, and he's like, fine, let's go. He's like, well, here's the problem. There's only one person who has access to see Blofeld. Cut two. And then we jump straight to Madeline. She's entering her building, her office, right? Um, that's a summoning spell to me. Uh, and so they have a meeting. She has a meeting. Uh, she walks in, she has this first encounter with Safin, uh, or so we think. And she, he, of course, is revealed to be the the baddie that she met in her, her childhood. And he's threatening to kill someone she cares about. And she says, there's no one that I care about that you can hurt. And he's like, I don't think that's true, right? He says something to that effect. And then we cut to James Bond. And so... I love this because it's a total fake out. They're using the summoning idea against the audience because they're inserting into our mind that Safin is talking about Bond, but in actuality, he's referring to her yet to be revealed daughter. Mm-hmm. And so the first summoning implication is true that the only person who has access to Blowfield is indeed Madeline, which lays the trap to deceive or, you know, play with the audience a little bit about bond with the second implication that the person Safin is threatening is him when in fact um, it's her daughter. And so very simple thing. And in regards to Matilda, her daughter, which apparently is named after her mother, by the way, like her mom's name was Matilda, uh, which I only noticed in the credits. Uh, Maybe it was in the film somehow, but uh, I only saw it in the credits. So that's a really endearing thing that she, yeah, she cared about her mom, loved her enough to continue her name. Um, Even though, you know, she wasn't great, but she was also murdered in front of her. And so she's not running from her past, I think, is uh, kind of the important point that they're emphasizing. But there's this great setup and payoff that they use with her daughter, which is the eyes, right? Um, the setup is that Bond sees her and implies that she has his eyes. And of course, you know, uh, Madeline's like, she's not yours. He's like, yeah, but, you know, the eyes, she's not yours. <laughs> He's like, I know. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it it creates doubt in the viewer's mind, right? That maybe it's not, maybe it's not his daughter. That would have been cool though. But is it, I don't know. And so there's this unease or, or 
question in their mind that stays until Bond's last dying moment. Uh, and they resolve it in one sentence, in one exchange of dialogue uh, over the, the walkie-talkie. Uh, like, she's got your eyes. And he says, I know. And it's great. It managed to solidify Bond as a father and has a legacy, which is a bit of a salve for the sacrifice he's about to make. We still feel like we have a piece of Bond in the world. That's pretty cool. And speaking about his sacrifice, it's so good. I think they did a great job of making it a sacrifice that was vital to the story. Not just a sacrifice out of laziness or, you know, emotional manipulation but it it was very crucial to make you know they they made it very critical for the story to work because on the one hand he's james bond is riddled with bullets he's been like blasted up so his life is already kind of like barely hanging on um, he's also out of time right he needs to open the blast doors to ensure the weapons factory is destroyed and even if all those things were not true he himself is in imminent danger to the ones he loves most because he's infected. And so they kind of give you three or four reasons that he should die, uh, which is ticks off all the boxes. Like, well, maybe, well, maybe, nope, nope, nope. In every way mm -hmm. that you want yep. him to, to work it out, uh, he just can't. And so on those levels, it works. But we also know that he doesn't regret it, which was kind of built in earlier uh, with his interaction with, uh, with Felix, right? This is the best life. It's a life that he loves. Uh, and, there, and there are no regrets. And they, of course, built in some cues earlier to prepare the audience, right? The Russian scientist is saying, hey, this is a suicide mission. Um, you're not going to survive, right? They kind of start building in those those little breadcrumbs to say, oh, maybe not. Uh, and even at the beginning of the film, right, there's that line that he tells her, hey, I'm in no rush. We have all the time in the world, right? And mm -hmm. at the end, he's telling her, you have all the time in the world. Like, no rush. So I think it works in every way we really need it to work. It's a good emotional resolution. And then, of course, we get the uh, the story at the end. Let me tell you about your dad. Yeah. Fade off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and him on the roof when she was uh, when they were talking on the walkie talkie. I felt like it was a goodbye to us also mm. from Daniel Craig, you know, that that you have all the time in the world was, you know, maybe a me little message to us too. like, go use it. Use your days that you have left. Use your time that you have left. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. Cause I knew, I just knew it was coming, you know, from, I didn't know at the start of the movie that he would die. I mm. think I kind of hoped that he would. It oh. sounds morbid, but <laughs> what other, what other better way to yeah. end bond? I mean, end this kind of bond, you know, like a Pierce Brosnan bond, if you wanted to end that or a, uh, any other bond, I feel like yeah. might've been like, Oh, he finds a way to live happily ever after. Not this guy, you know? Um, and so I kind of I hoped for it or whatever, but halfway through, I was like, no, this, this, this dude, especially when they were going to an Island, I was like, this dude is not making it out. No way. Yeah. But yeah, when, when he's like climbing up to the roof, I thought, Oh my gosh, we're going to get, we're going to get this send off. And we, I, we totally got it. I have this is what I mean about how good Daniel Craig is as Bond is that those lines delivered. I was choked up. I was getting choked up by his performance, getting choked up by a James Bond performance. Like that doesn't come on. That doesn't happen. You know, they're, they're not emotional. They're either funny mm. or they're aggressive, but they're not like super emotional because he's been had that beaten out of him. Right. 
but either by you know the um, the government or by his life choices and the women around him or by just you know the the people that he surrounds himself by who are always trying to kill him constantly but him co- to completely let all of that go and to be a real person and we get to see that real person completely vulnerable was wonderful it it was my favorite moment of any bond honestly i i absolutely adored it and you know who composed uh, the music for this film mm. Hans zimmer <laughs> yeah so, i mean you know uh billy eilish wrote the the main right theme, right yeah you know but the music hans did which i thought was Ooh. i thought it was awesome that was yeah flawless because i didn't notice it unless mm. i needed unless it was necessary and uh you know it had the typical motifs that you would that yeah. you would expect in a bond film you know that's pretty cool there were a few kind of clunky moments that i was like Oh, I don't know. Yeah, tell works. me. So the first one that popped out um, was his moment in the the prison with Blofeld. I knew they were trying to create an excuse for him to touch Blofeld, and so I thought the whole him getting upset felt forced. It was it, it was just a strained excuse to make physical contact. I think, and I get it, man. That's hard because you want to see some emotion come out of him, and I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I might have experimented a little bit more and maybe they did and this just was the one that felt the best i guess but to me i'm i might have inverted it a little bit and tried to create an excuse for blowfield to touch him um instead uh, i think that could have worked a little bit stronger and but i we knew what we were expecting to see like the he's going to get infected with this disease and we're going to or the the nanobots the Heracles and we're going to see how it operates that was the whole point of that that section and it was to see the Safin's plan work um mm-hmm. except it, yeah I don't know it, it just felt clunky to me um yeah. similar later in the film when Bond is in the room weaponless before Safin he's doing this whole apologetic bow as an excuse to reach in and get his gun and so that felt strained as well. Um, it just, I don't know, didn't click. I thought that might have been a good time to have one of his gadgets, a new gadget, be used in some distorted way to help him escape that scenario. You know, in a similar way that he used the the EMP watch to kill Cyclops. Like, I thought maybe this is another opportunity that could have introduced some other tech that he suddenly, like, whatever used to, to blind a few people or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that, that one didn't quite click for me either. Um, and those are, I think important moments and I think you can have clunky moments. You want to try to avoid them in the moments that are really significant, um, are, are turning moments in a similar, but slightly different way. I thought it was a little clunky that Safin just kind of randomly releases Matilda. Like, she like bites him or kicks him in the shin or something. He's like, yeah, get out of here, kid. And I'm like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> like you made a big deal about getting this little girl. And now you're just like, yeah, they'll figure it out. <laughs> like, all right. I mean, uh, it just, I don't know. That felt a little hollow. Um, totally agree. All uh, those moments. Yeah. yeah. Like ultimately, because we're, again, we were so invested in the story and, and bond, we overlooked those things, you know, willingly, but it was just one of those things. Where I'm like, ah, was there, was there another way to go about this? Uh, maybe, but I guess whatever. Uh, things happen. <laughs> you can't that win them all. That did feel very weird. You know, the other two moments, yeah, I can see that for sure. Mm-hmm. I think I, for, I just forgave them. But yeah, they, those were very, those were clunky, clunky. But especially 
him just letting her go. I think he thought he was letting her just go to her death. He didn't think that she was going to yeah. like get off the island, but, but still like, you know, it should have, I just feel like, yeah, that was kind of like an overlooked moment of, of maybe she's smart enough. We can show her smarts of like how to get away from him, yeah. um, her own way when even bond couldn't get her, you know, or something like that. It would have been a, there was an opportunity missed for sure. Yeah. Instead, it's just kind yeah. of this arbitrary decision uh, that comes out of left field. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, overall it's hard to not like this movie. I'm really excited to, to like take a moment and actually go through all the films and see how they all line up and play alongside each other. Yeah. You, you know what, one other clunky moment that it wasn't really a moment. It was just a, a, a thing that bothered me a little bit was M acknowledges that it's on him if stuff goes wrong with this, but then shit did go wrong. <laughs> And like way wrong. Bond is dead and he doesn't like resign Mm -hmm. or have anything bad happen to him. I just felt like that was wrong. Like you are not allowed to toast to James. This is your fault. So you need to have something, something needs to happen to you. And maybe that because if you stuck around for the end of the credits, it says at the end of the credits, Bond will be back. So maybe it's something for the next version yeah. of whatever James Bond would be. You know, That's... maybe they'll like M will have some kind of, I don't know, retribution. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. And just to uh, flesh out M a little bit more too, or at least the, the idea of him screwing up in a multitude of ways. I like that the the bunker was an old nuclear silo. I feel like they were tying together those ideas of what, our governments uh and i that's plural it's not just america like russia um south korea or north korea like a lot of governments have been playing with fire when it comes to nuclear weapons um and i feel like they were playing around with that idea using the bunker as kind of a symbolic idea that heracles is representative of a lot of these ideas um yeah you know governmental missteps and i love the point you're making about M does not have the right to toast Bond. Absolutely right. You got this guy killed. Don't pretend to pay him his proper respect whenever, you know, this is on you. The blood is on your hands and you don't get to alleviate it by simply wishing him the best. <laughs> like then get get out of here. Yeah, and nobody around him is is yeah. is mad at him about it either. You know, the Bill Tanner isn't mad at him, but Money Penny isn't mad at him. Like, what? They don't say anything. Yeah, I wonder if that's because he's done a just otherwise a really good job of keeping secret why everything happened. Like, how much do all these other people know uh, about the background of Heracles? I mean, they know everything because they were in the room when when they were he was being called out, and he's right. Like, I know Money Tanner was for sure. Was he? Okay, for sure. Like. At least some people in that room knew mm, yeah. that M was the was the impetus behind Heracles. Gotcha. At least some of them did. And yeah. I venture to say that all of them did. Yeah. But at least at least Tanner and I'm pretty sure Money Penny and definitely Q. I mean Q knows everything. True. So mm. why nobody said anything? Even if he didn't, you know, even if M didn't resign, you know, somebody to acknowledge this is your fault you know, would have been, it would have been, it would have helped. It would have felt good. So 
where do you want to see the future of Bond go? From what I understand, talking to Ricky, he's watched all these movies and he was like, they often tie Bonds together through casting choices of let's keep M the same, right? Uh, he was saying Judy Dench as M was the same for Brosnan. And then we've had M's kind of overlap Bonds throughout, throughout the history. And so I'm curious, do you want to see bond continue in this same world or would you like to see a reset of the world and a new james bond because obviously if you stay in this world we can't have james bond we're just going to have a new 007 and yeah yeah we, i mean we can I, start there do you want to see this world stay the same or reset the world i mean a reset yeah 100 percent. that you can't I, wh- I i think they could do it either honestly mm-hmm. you know if you're creative you can do either you know you can you can hand the baton off to to know me and she could follow James and then you don't have a James Bond. You have, you know, a new 007 um, and that could be the new world and it, it could new world. It would be the same world, but just, you know, continue. But I feel like the stakes are, have been raised and raised and raised and elevated. And uh, in order to tell the story or to tell, I think you kind of need to tell a new story with new everything. You know, um, I don't think that anybody can really follow Daniel Craig in a, in the same world in a better way. Yeah. You know, of course this is, this is me. This is just me not being creative enough to think outside the box in order to do it (laughs) in this moment. But, um, so could it be done? Sure. But I think it would feel better. It would feel like a better homage to Mm. Daniel Craig and to this world that they have built with James Bond to recreate a new world like they do with every new bond you know yes m might say the same but it's still you know the things around it are different you know um um, when daniel took over he wasn't even 007 at the time he was trying to get to that right it was a new world in that you know even if m was the same and you know it was still the 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 British secret service. It was a a different world from like Pierce or I think he was the bond that came before. I I can't remember. Uh, And I think each time it's been a little bit different. And even if it just feels different, right. There was a big, there was a lot more struggle with Daniel's James Bond in the beginning to get to the level, to get to the commander. Right. And so whatever this next 007 is, I think it needs a new world in order to develop that. Is, That's smart. I don't know. Just my thought. Yeah, what do no, you think? I, I agree with that. It's you don't want to chase Bond, uh, Daniel Craig in this universe. Like you, you should reset. And I just double checked through our good friend Joe Howes's uh, site, Cinematlist. I was just curious how many films Judy Dench and Pierce Brosnan were in together, and she was indeed the previous in all the Tomorrow Never Dies, Die Another Day, World Is Not Enough. She was in like a lot of those. Um, and so mm-hmm. yeah keeping that idea Ray finds playing the next M gives you enough carryover. And I, I agree. I would, I would want to see a reset and preferably I would like to see the same gritty style. I, I think they're going to have to decide if they want to stay in this realm or do a massive tone switch a la Kingsman, right? Where it's just kind of going back to the the, the suave, uh, effortless style of Bond. I gravitate more towards this kind of content and this is paid dividends. So I'm hoping they'll stick with this. Is that, do you feel the same way on that? Oh, totally. You can't go back. Yeah. You can't go back. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. 
You can't go back. You got to you got to stay real world. And because and I think the reason why I agree with you is because of that final scene that he had mm-hmm. and because of the wonder that they did right before it. I mean, yeah. can we talk about that for a second? Sure, man. How beautiful <laughs> that was. It was so be- it was so beautiful that I noticed it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was like they they took and you said it really well early earlier when you talk about the effortlessness. All like it feel, feels like all the bonds before and even some of the uh, you know, some moments in the in the Daniel Craig bonds where just everything seems like to be so easy. And then to do a wonder towards the end of this to show how difficult he is having, not just, you know, as an actor, but as a character, the difficulty that he's having to go through, you know, to, you know, go through all these guys and, and, um, and getting blown up and, and the door saving his life. Cause you know, when the, the grenade goes off and it blows him back and he's in a stairwell, the door saves his life. And, you know, like things like that happen, but he, then, you know, he's stunned and he's, you know, just barely getting up and he gets a shot off to say and then he just happens to, he doesn't even hit his watch to kill Cyclops. It was an accident. I think that Cyclops might've hit it. He didn't do it on purpose. Oh. And he was shocked when it happened. He just had him in a headlock and it was close to his eye. And so it like blew his eye up, but it was a, it was like an accident. And so just these things are like happening, but it's all most of it. And I think there was like one point when he started fighting Cyclops where it was, it there was a cutaway and you could kind of tell because it came across the camera but yeah i assume there yeah there was a camera wipe whenever uh he kind of gets backed into the camera and so that looked like yeah. an opportunity to set up for the big stunt which was flying down the stairs like they exactly they do this big jump and that's when we do an actual hard cut yeah but to the casual viewer's eye it might look like one continuous thing because you can't yeah you don't really notice the camera wipe like that which is why it's there right yeah uh, but it's be- just it was just so wonderful to see the all the effort having to be put in towards the end in order to make this happen and to to survive, to save everything, to save not just his family, but the whole world, essentially. How can you go back to it being easy for anyone after that? Right. I mean, it would feel like it would feel fake and terrible to yeah. do that. I think that you need to double down now and for it to be even harder moving forward. Right. Yeah, I love it. How would you feel, uh, and I think you've already answered this uh, indirectly, but Bond as a woman, would you welcome like a Janet Bond? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I would love it. I would absolutely love it. It would add special new wrinkles mm. that you couldn't get with a male Bond. You know, um, it would add new new abilities that could happen that wouldn't pay off with a male bond you know it would give her more it would give the character less power and more power in certain ways Mm. you know that are would be very fun to to use and exploit i think that a that a a female would have plenty of things that you could play on that like you know some a, a bad a bad guy or bad woman could play on that they couldn't with a male and and that would be wonderful i completely agree like i my big asterisk would be make sure you keep her bond like don't suddenly turn her into something else right bond is 
uh, misogynist. So make her a manonizer or whatever you would call that. Like she should <laughs> still be exploiting, you know, her sexuality to her benefit in order to get the things that she wants. She should still like drinking and have a, a you know, liver fighting cirrhosis. Like I, <laughs> and she should still be yeah. everything, you know, Paloma was like charming, charismatic, wry, and, you know, way more than incapable. Like, uh, I would want to see her still remain a bond. Um, and if you're not going to do that, then just don't do it. Yeah. I would be more than game for that. And that aside, assuming that they probably keep it as a dude, um, do you have anyone on your dream list? Any Brits? Cause that's the other thing, right? They need to be from the UK, uh, some form or fashion. I think, uh, Sean Connery was, you know, technically Scottish, but, uh, it's all mm-hmm. kind of under the same umbrella. Uh, do you have anyone that you've thought of? I mean, obviously Tom Hardy wouldn't upset you. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, you know, originally, I think years ago, you might have brought it up, no. but um, and I think he's too old now. But uh, who who is it you were suggesting? Idris Elba. Idris, Idris. I loved yeah. that. I was like, oh, please, please. But yeah, he's, I think he's, you know, past the age of like. I know, agree. If you, because this whole thing spanned what, like almost 17 years between the first and this one, five yeah. films, like you need, you do need someone that's, you know, in their early thirties uh, or early to mid thirties. I think if you're going to, you know, try to get another 10, 15 years out of this thing. But I think for me, I agree. Idris is probably uh, on the, on the wrong side of that. But I, I think Daniel Kaluuya could do an incredible job. He's got the physique. He's got the, the suave uh, debonair thing. He's, he's a Brit and uh, he's got the range. Like he could do some pretty magical things. Um, And if you're not going to do that, uh, I think Tom Hardy could probably, he might still be on the upper end of uh, the age range, but um, I think he could still probably live in that world just long enough to squeeze out, you know, three to four of these um, and create something badass. Uh, Beyond that, I don't think there's anybody on my list that I would be like, Oh, they're, they're the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is going to sound weird, but I don't know. I don't know that I'd like to see Tom Hardy as Bond. Ooh, really? The things I, when I picture Tom Hardy, I, I picture dirty and, and mm. raw, which I guess maybe could work, you know, as like a new world kind of Bond, you know, yeah. but like, you know, picturing him in like these suits and just proper, you know, doesn't. His accent is a little slurry, right? He's he's not good on his diction enunciation. So yeah, I don't okay. know. So you're more of a Tom Hardly. Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that he could do it and he could pull it off, and it would be amazing because he's one of my favorite actors for sure. Yeah, one of both of our favorite actors. But yep. but yeah, I don't know. It would be nice to have a new face, maybe not somebody that like we the world knows yet necessarily, and um, I don't know. You know, maybe give an opportunity to a woman, but I don't have anybody in mind. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. I'm just going to let it happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to make it. So (laughs) just, just do it well, which I, from what I was told, like the same family has been producing these from the beginning. Like they kind of pass baton within the family, which, oh yeah, is why you're able to, I guess, have this series be its own thing. Like that's, uh, that's a pretty cool. That's cool. I did not know that. That's yeah, awesome. Same. I guess the last thing I would want to point out, you don't know screenplay by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade and Carrie Joji Fukunaga. 
and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Like, you don't normally see that many credits on a screenplay. The WGA is normally very strict about how many people can get uh, official credit for a script. Um, and so I found it really interesting that they allowed effectively three teams to, to take credit because normally they kind of max out around two. And the way you can kind of tell who's a team and not is the way they use the ampersand. The ampersand in the credits denotes this was they were responsible for one draft or drafts and working together through the script. And so Neil Purvis and Robert Wade are one team. And then Kerry Joji Fukunaga did his own thing. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, did her own thing. And the stacking order is important as well because the people at the top are accredited with having done the most work, probably through arbitration. And that's a whole kind of mystic process that the WGA does. But theoretically, you should be able to slice up the script and say, they wrote this part, they wrote this part. Um, and it gets very weird from what I understand. Not that I've ever you know, gone through arbitration since I'm not in the WGA, but it just sounds like a very fluky, we say so kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just found it interesting. And I love the inclus- inclusion of Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, because she is responsible for Killing Eve, which I'm sure people have heard me discuss three or four times now on the show with Jodie Comer and San- Sandra Oh. But it's all about spy work and spy craft and largely featuring women. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that they brought her in, at, you know, probably towards the end of the process to either punch up dialogue. Um, if you've seen her show, oh, why is it? Uh, Fleabag on Amazon Prime. You know, she's an incredible writer. Uh, but if you've also watched, you know, and capable of witty, really smart dialogue on Fleabag, but you, if you combine that with what she's done on Killing Eve, you're like, she is a shoe in for James Bond. Uh, it, it would be stupid to not bring her in to at least look over your script and punch up, uh, if not some of the women, all the dialogue. Like I bet she had a lot of influence on uh, tweaking and working through the dialogue and saying, Hey, instead of this, make this, you know, character do this. And so I think it's really cool that they brought her in. And I always love seeing a director's name in the script uh, credits because, you know, they, they understand what they're trying to do. And Carrie Fukunaga, if you're not aware, uh, was responsible for the first season of true detective, um, which the best you know, one. Yep. Absolutely. And so very cool to see so many people get credit for their work. Uh, I'm a big fan of such things. Yeah. Anywho. So Toddies, what are you going to recommend this week? So this, okay, cool. So this week, um, I've been wanting to see this for a while and I haven't until this week. And then I texted you after it to see what you thought, you know, like not knowing what you thought, but I loved it. Uh, I'm going to recommend Free Guy. The new Ryan Reynolds film, uh, which has nothing to do with Bond, I know, uh, but I kind of don't care because I, 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 it was a little aggressive, but I watched it with my son who loved it and laughed hard um, in some really great moments. And I was rolling in some moments too. And I just thought it was a very, it was like really smart and heartfelt and um, in a lot of places and a surprise, you know? I had heard that it was pretty good, but I didn't, you know, I just never got the chance to see it in theater. So I watched it on uh, Apple a couple nights ago. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I recommend Free Guy. Badass. Um, yeah, I'll co-sign that. I, that pleasantly surprised me as well. I caught it in theater on a big movie day with my mom. Uh, and awesome. I was like, whoa, this is actually, you know, really well done. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend another Rafe Fine movie. Rafe Fine's uh 
if you if you want some more of him and you want to stay and hang around in Britain with their espionage and uh, politics, there is a true story. Uh, it's called Official Secrets, and it's all about how you know the the British government lied to their own people to get us into the war in Iraq in 2003, and it tells the story of a woman who was a whistle whistleblower and maybe one of the only people of in history that I'm aware of that actually had the, the, the chance to prevent war and, you know, did her best to get the truth out there ahead of time, ahead of the war. Um, and you know, she, she paid a pretty high price. And so, uh, I think that's streaming on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken, um, it's streaming somewhere. Um, and so if you, if you want to dive back into real world stuff and real consequences, um, I, I really like that Ray Fiennes did both this and bond and doing very similar storylines in, in both. Yeah. So check that out. Official secrets. And so stay tuned next week. We are going to cover season two of Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, go watch it and tune in. That's on Apple TV Plus, uh, if you're not aware. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe, drop us a review, and leave us a note. If you want us to cover a film or a topic or, I don't know, wave on camera at you, uh, you can get all of those things <laughs> and more. <laughs> Whether you ordered them or not. Yeah, that's right. And if uh, you want to leave a note on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash no time to die. And our quote of the day is from Ian Fleming. History is moving pretty quickly these days, and the heroes and villains keep on changing parts. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's perspective, right? Spot on. I mean, it's hard to know who's who's the villain and who's the hero in some cases, you know. You know, a lot of it has to do with retribution. A lot of it has to do with, you know, a lot of stuff that we don't like to hear about. That's um, right. Oh. Uh, and there's a lot of players um, in the game who are doing it for wrong reasons. You know, whether that's money or, you know, things you can't take with you. So I, yeah. that's I think right. it's brilliantly said. Nice. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this episode of No Time to Die. Make sure to join us next week. We're doing Ted Lasso Season 2. Make sure to go watch that because there's going to be spoilers. And uh, share us with your friends. Uh, you know, Review us on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, all that stuff. It all helps us immensely. So thank you for joining us again. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.